Welcome back to Grieving Well. This is week two in which we'll start chapter one of C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed. Now, before we get started, I want to warn you that uh, in this chapter, Lewis is at his rawest. This is, uh, again, as a reminder, this is Lewis's journals that we're really actually looking through here. And in this first one, he is so close to his wife's death, and he is also just pouring out how he feels. He's not as much checking his thoughts. He's not as much... Uh, you know, looming over, kind of trying to take a step back, trying to rationalize. So this week will be a lot more unfiltered, if you will. So our big theme, really, for this week will simply be just looking at a man, listening to his emotions, uh, seeing what's going on inside of him, and seeing that sometimes it's okay. In fact, we're going to look at Scripture where we're going to see that it is okay just to bear yourself before God and I mean, and when I even say that, use that language of bearing yourself, I mean, just taking everything away that would stand between you and God, letting him see you as you truly are. Of course, he can already do that, but that we would be just completely honest with him, that we would be completely honest with ourselves. So with that said, what I want to do right now is actually look at the first chapter here, first paragraph, first line, and this is how Lewis begins his book, or again, as you know, as a reminder, begins his journal. No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. At other times, it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. There is sort of an invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says, or perhaps hard to want to take in. It is so uninteresting. So let's dissect just a little bit here of what Lewis is saying and what he's feeling. One of the big things that we see here is, again, like he said, it feels like fear. feels like fear in the sense that, as he mentions here, some some very physical-type things, some physiological-type things that he has going on with restlessness, with fluttering in the stomach, with yawning. But towards the end of the section that I read there, he gets into some areas that we really we see this a lot with grief. And again... Uh, as uh, you'll I'll sound like a broken record here, but we're not just talking about grief. We're talking about anxiety. We're talking about difficult times. We're talking about times in which we feel like we, we can't reach God. He says, I find it hard to take in what anyone says. And then he goes on to say, it's so uninteresting. This is definitely a hallmark of grief. It's a hallmark of, of any type of depression, of any type of uh, emotional illness of any of anything like that, where we're so emotionally spent, we're so tired, we're so worn out that even the things that previously had been so interesting, things that we loved before, now they just don't have that same flair. In fact, he finishes this section by saying, "Yet I want other people to be around me. I dread the moments when the house is empty. If only they would talk to one another and not to me." And, you know, that, that right there is definitely a mark of, of when we're grieving or even, again, when we are uh, depressed, when we have issues that are standing, emotional issues that are just draining us. And, and you know, you don't have to be someone who has had even maybe mental issue uh, problems before or emotional issue problems before. In the middle of 2020, there are probably days compared to any other year. There are probably more days when you're like, I just don't care. I just, I don't have the same passion that I used to. I don't, this doesn't really 
uh, interest me like it used to. I, you know, like it talks about here, I, I want to kind of maybe be around people, but just please don't talk to me. This is definitely a mark of grieving. So we're now going to turn uh, just a little bit further down where Lewis asks a question, and it's the kind of question that's it's really uncomfortable for a Christian. It's the kind of question that uh, would, I have, <laughs> would I have asked this uh, when I was younger to my family, to my church? I would have been met with looks that said, you're in trouble. I would have been met with looks that said, what's wrong with you? But what we're going to do, too, is after I read this passage, I'm going to also read some scripture, and we're going to see that actually you see some of this language used in Psalms. So Lewis, at this point, again, he's he's been talking about, listen, I, I can't stand things as they currently are. I'm not interested in things anymore. Uh, you know, again, I've, I've lost my wife and then lost her in such a horrible way. And then he asks this question. He says, meanwhile, where's God? This is one of the most, and here I'm, I'm continuing to read Lewis. He says, this is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you're tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcome with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? And this brings us to the title of this particular session that we're going through. So I've, I've titled this particular session, The Locked Door. And here he describes it. He says, this is what Lewis says he finds when he goes to God at his worst, that he finds a door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. And that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? And so what Lewis hits on here, now, obviously this is part of grief. This is part of so many Christians, though, too. This is part of, for so many Christians, very much an experience. That's For some Christians, it happens maybe a few times you felt this way. Uh, for some for, for some Christians, it may feel like this happens a lot. But this sense of God's absence, and especially there, this sense of God's absence in the middle of when we feel like we need Him the most. And there are times where, as a Christian, even as, as quote, maybe the most saved you can be, and yet you come to God and it can feel like there's no one there. Like he says here, and, and I, I love here Lewis's his writing, his almost poetry in the midst of this prose, where he describes what he comes to. It's not just a locked door, but it's a door slammed in your face. It's a door, and then you, you hear not only that the door's locked, but it's bolted. It's double bolted from the inside. And then silence. So notice here, Lewis doesn't actually describe it completely as like just silence. He doesn't just say that he doesn't hear God talk, but he feels like God's not listening. He doesn't feel like God's not there at all. He's not saying here, I don't think there's a God. He's saying, I don't think God's listening to me. And that has to be one of the most troubling experiences as a Christian. Not that not not in atheism, you know, an atheism is is more of an intellectual type thing in the sense of it involves faith. That's very true, but it's not as emotional. Atheism doesn't have to do with as much in the emotions as this does. This is I believe that God's real, and I don't think He cares. I don't think He's listening. 
I don't think he loves me like I originally thought that he loved me. Now, like I mentioned, though, is we're going to see here that there is actually Scripture. <laughs> there is Scripture that sounds very similar to this, and in fact, Scripture that Jesus himself quoted. You know, many of us, you may have at some point memorized the seven sayings of the cross, that there were seven things that Jesus said while he was on the cross, and one of them was, he says it in uh, Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, first, let me just start with the surface level right there of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was Jesus, right? This is the Son of God, God's Son. He's been with Him for eternity. He surely, I mean, I would think anyways, I would think in his head, like, man, doesn't he know that he's going to be with God again? Doesn't he know he's going to be with his father again? Why is he screaming out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because in his humanity there on the cross, he felt like God was not even with him. Now, there are there's some uh, theological, uh, what shall we say, there are some theological sinkholes here and trying to get into, did God turn his back? Did the father, was he absent from him? Did he, you know, was there a severance? How long were they disconnected? But without even getting into all that, we see Jesus, whether there's complete separation or spiritual separation or emotional separation, at the very least, we see Jesus, again, God's Son, saying that he seems to feel like God has forsaken him. What an incredibly powerful thing. If Jesus can feel that way, maybe I can too. Um, you know, I mentioned last time that my mom passed away uh, just a few months ago in May. But about, I'd say it was about a year before she passed away, uh, she was at the emergency room one time. And she, uh, and some of you have experienced this when you're going through something like cancer. Uh, it feels like you're at the emergency room more times than you're, you know, at any other place. But we were at the emergency room for I don't know what time number that was. But uh, she started to break down. Uh, and this was after she had her terminal diagnosis and after the doctors had said, there's really nothing more we can do. And she started breaking down, and she was, my mom was very much, she was a woman of faith. She was a woman of prayer, and she didn't want to ever feel like she was disappointing God. That was a big thing for her, and I'll never forget what she started praying. She was saying, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I don't feel like you're there, and I feel so bad about that. And she started really breaking down, and I, you know, I was sitting there talking to her because and I said, well, you know, tell me, what's, what's really bothering you? And she said, well, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared God's going to be mad at me. I'm scared God's going to be mad at me because I, I feel like I can't hear him talk, and I know I should have more faith, and I know I should feel like he's always there. And this is the passage that I was reminded of in that moment was Jesus himself who says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That in his, in his humanity, in his human body, he felt like God wasn't around. And I'm telling you guys, if the Son of God can feel that way, I can feel that way. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't stay there, right? He didn't say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm getting off this cross now. I'm tired of this, right? I mean, like, he stuck through it. So there's there's a difference there. So we are saying here that we're we're going to face things, but when I say it, so when I say it's okay to feel that way, we don't want to stay there. We don't want to make that our home, but we do want to recognize that we should not feel ashamed when we sometimes feel like maybe God's not around. So here's the deal, though. Jesus, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
that he wasn't just saying that of his own accord, or rather, he wasn't coming up with that brand new. Instead, he's quoting scripture. You know, Jesus, he quoted scripture a lot, right? We, we do that hopefully too. But uh, here he's quoting Psalm 22. Uh, so I'm going to go back to Psalm 22. I'm going to read here just a, a little bit of it. But this is what David himself said, and Jesus is quoting David. My God, my God, so this is Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? So David's painting a picture here where, again, this isn't just like, God, I haven't heard from you lately. You know, this isn't just, um, Lord, I I want to hear you speak. This is, I think you've left me. I'm scared that you're not around. Um, uh, from the words of my groaning, why are you so far from saving me? Like, I need you to save me. Then in verse 2, he says, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Day and night, I'm screaming, I'm crying, I am praying to you, and you're not listening. You're not answering. This is David. This is Jesus quoting David. So if you are ever in this boat, you're not alone, okay? Now, Lewis, David, Jesus, none of them stay in this place, right? I mean, they they move on. Uh, they Now, when I say move on, I don't mean just, hey, you know, tough, you know, uh, chin up and toughen up and all that. But uh, so there, there is going to be a point to where we, where we want to push forward. But again, we don't want to feel ashamed. We won't don't want to feel like we've committed a grievous sin when we feel like, I don't know that God's listening to me. It's a very natural thing, okay? So Lewis, a couple of paragraphs forward from the last place where we're reading about the bolted door, the double bolted door, the slam door in our face, uh, he even uh, describes here how, you know, atheism is not the danger for him. It's not the danger typically that we're, that we're looking at in this kind of situation. He says, not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all. Instead, Lewis says, this is the conclusion he dreads. So this is what God's really like. Deceive yourself no longer. And we can see that particular danger being faced when we go back to Psalm 22. So I read those two verses about, you know, David feeling like God has forsaken him. You know, hey, God, I have cried out by day. You're not listening. I've cried out by night. You're not listening. And yet in verse 3 of that psalm, this is where we see Lewis talking about that. We see David talking about this. He says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Yet you are holy. That's that's some hardcore Christianity right there. It, it isn't just I believe in God, but it is in my very human body, in my limited uh, self, in, in this sinful um, casing that I have around me, I don't feel like God's there. And yet, He is holy. Wow, that's some real Christianity. Now, I think it's awesome. Some of you are are wired in such a way that this isn't as big of an issue for you. Some people are wired where this is a bigger issue. But I think, again, most of us have this this thing sometimes where 
if, if you'll pardon the way I do this here, but I'm just going to put it in kind of human type things where we're kind of thinking, God, you're not doing like I want you to do. Uh, you know, where, God, I don't think that was right. God, I don't think you're handling this properly. Now, let's be fair. I don't think, you know, we probably ever use those words, but we've had those feelings. I figure most people listening, at some point, you've had that type of thing where you you question, like, I don't think I would have done it that way, right? You know how it is. You're, you've got maybe a coworker that's bothering you, and you think, ah, I know the solution to this, and God does something else, or maybe they get a promotion after they've treated you so horribly, and it's like, I, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't add up. So we have often probably all experienced this thing where we question God. We we don't think that He is doing the way or responding the way we want Him to. And then there's this verse, again, this really incredible verse, yet you are holy. It doesn't just say you are holy. It says yet, which is this word that's like, and I know that's such a small word, and uh, but I mean, think about it. It's saying in in contrast, right? It's saying you're not really listening to me, God. I'm not hearing from you yet, I'll tell you what I do know. You're holy. I know that you're still God. Again, this isn't atheism. This is a a sense in which, though, it's a very natural thing, right? I mean, it's it's a sense in which we feel like God's not there. He's not listening, and I'm not sure exactly what to do. But again, we we see here, let me start with this. We see with David, he says, yes, you're holy. We see it with Jesus, again, who just by sheer experience that we see this, that he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then instead of walking down off that cross, he's Jesus, he could do that. I mean, he could rip it apart. He could do whatever he pleases, and yet he stays there. And I I can't help but feel like his staying on that cross isn't a bit of that verse 3, yet you are holy. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet I'm staying here. I am staying on, (laughs) on point. I'm staying on mission. And then we're also going to see that with with Lewis. Now, because this is a whole set of journals, we're not going to see it too much here in this chapter, but we are going to see by the end that Lewis comes back to this this door analogy, and he's going to set all of that straight. So we're coming to an end here for this session. What I want to do, though, is just remind you of a couple things here that we've talked about. First of all, it is completely natural, and it is something that is... pretty much universal, to feel at times like God's not there, to feel at times like God's not listening, to sometimes, and again, even for Jesus to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To feel this this sense of separation between us and Him. And for those who are grieving, that's very that's a very common thing, to feel like I'm alone, to feel completely that way. So it is understandable to be there. It is a common thing and you're not alone if you're there, whether you're in the grieving process or not. Secondly, though, and again, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself a bit here, but I, I have to say this. That's not where we stop, though. We we push forward. We, as we saw there in Psalm, uh, in Psalm 22, where David says, yet you are holy, where Jesus stays on the cross, where, again, we're going to see with Lewis that he pushes forward. And even we can even see that in his journaling process. Had he really felt like God was completely not listening, then, you know, there's no point to the journal. There's no point to the process. So what my prayer for you this session would be 
is a couple of things. First of all, I would pray that if you're experiencing this now, if you're experiencing like, I don't think he's listening, I don't think he's responding, my prayer, first of all, would be that you would keep at it, that you would diligently search for him, that you would even continue to say, yet you are holy. And before that, know too that you can take, again here, this the, the example, this triple example that we see in Lewis, David, and Christ. Say that to God. Let him know that you feel like he's not listening. Let him, I mean, he wants to hear from you. You are his child. He wants to know what's going on with you. He's not up there busy. He's not in another room, you know, and he's, I got too much going on. Uh, no, he wants to hear from you. So listen, you know, so pour that out to him. Also, though, keep in mind that there is tomorrow. Keep in mind that there can be light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it may be dark, maybe hard to see that now. And it may be a candlelight right now. It might be a flashlight, but there is light there. And I pray that, uh, again, for those of you who are grieving, that, uh, that you would continue in this process, that you would faithfully look to Him. And again, for those of you who are reaching out to those who are grieving, for those of you who are ministering and, and being available for those, who, keep in mind that this might be something that they're going through, that they may feel alone. Um, and you may need to step in into that absence. You may need to step into that void and, and be the person that they can that they can talk to. And of course, too, there's a lot in this chapter, uh, probably 95% of it that we weren't able to get to this week. So I would uh, challenge you, if you get a chance, you know, read the chapter. I think you'll get a lot out of it. I hope to see you around next time when we look at the first half of chapter two of The Grief of Joel. Have a great week.